Hi there, I'm Casey Smith and you're listening to Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. On the show this week, I'm joined by the French rugby league journalist Pierre Carcot. A few months back, the new international rugby league chairman announced his intentions of France hosting the next World Cup in 2025. So with that in mind, I caught up with Pierre to discuss a whole host of issues surrounding French Rugby League. But I started off by asking him just what has been going on with current Catalan Dragons centre, Israel Falau. Well, actually, it looks like a complex story, but I think it's a, it's really a simple case. It's someone who has a contract with a club, with a French club, and who has a contract uh, which is valid until November of this year. And strangely, with, uh, which seems to train to, to bend the rules of the contract, in my, in my uh, humble opinion, because uh, I think that the Dragon Catalans club was very lenient with him. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, he, asked, uh, he asked to go home for some family reasons. Yeah. And I think that the Dragon Catalans were, I would say, um, an, uh, a good employer because they, they accepted. They accepted. Yeah. They also accepted their players not to play for the team, whereas, in fact, there was a, a seasoning process, a Super League seasons. Yeah. And surprise for them, and I can understand. Even I don't work for Catalan Dragon; I'm independent. Yeah. But I understand that they can be a little bit surprised to see uh, their players, because it's still their players, wearing the shirt or the jersey of a new club. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a surprise for this uh, Perpignan club? I think it's a, it's a surprise, and. Uh, <laughs> The clubs, uh, it seems that despite, I think that many clubs would be upset about this. And yet, it seems that the Dragon Catalans are ready to negotiate with him. So, uh, to release him, so he can be uh, free of the, of the contract and be registered uh, in another country, which is the normal rule, I think, in the international uh, rugby league. I would say it's, uh, it's a case of... Uh, of someone who's trying to breaching a contract, I'm afraid. And so, uh, as an observer, I'm surprised by the development, what is happening now in Australia, because it seems it's turning to a political, uh, almost a political or religious uh, dispute. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, whereas, in fact, it's a simple situation, uh, Dragon Catalans uh, took a risk by hiring him. They took a risk. They, uh, many British um, uh, clubs complained about it, yeah. and I think that it was also understand, under, sorry, understandable that they, they complained, uh, given his uh, previous statements, yeah. uh, homophobic statements, but not only uh, against uh, the LGBT community, against the atheists. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in France, we are said that fifty percent of the population. Artist, so uh, it brings <laughs> some savor to his to his statements, <laughs> and so and so they took a risk. They they took a risk, and I think that uh, now I think they re- they realized that it was very a big risk, not only for in terms of communication of image, but also because the uh, players is, doesn't respect the rules. Yeah, it seems crazy how, you know, he was parading on a press conference, you know, when he's still with the Dragons. I was I was sort of taken aback, really, like, you know, I don't... It, one minute he was playing well for the Dragons and then he disappeared. And But then Catalans were saying, well, he's still... Wit- still contracted with us it seemed as if they they didn't really know what was going on yes and it's probably because they were fooled some, yeah. somehow I mean and uh, if you don't know I don't know if you know the Dragon Catalan spirit it's a family club actually it's a family club it's not a big company it's uh, and so when uh, Israel Follow uh, came to us and say he wanted to uh, 
he wanted to, to leave France for family reason, which is something that he could understand. We yeah. could understand very well. Because he appears like someone of commitment, of someone of values, at least for, for the family. So for, for them, it was natural to release him, even if he has a contract. And so for him, I think it's, uh, uh, it's not a fate for them. It's a real surprise for them. Uh, it's a big disappointment. It's uh, also a huge disappointment. And so, uh, and frankly, uh, they have been hard, if I, if I can say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, moving on from Israel Falau, um, French Rugby League as a whole, um, they had a good period in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Yes. But uh, since then, th- there's been a bit of a decline. What can that be put down to? Uh, so, uh, I permit myself to make a, a correction. Right. Uh, you're right, there is a general decline, I agree. Yeah. But at the end of the 70s, uh, France uh, managed to beat Australia. It yeah. was probably the last time. So, it was a relative, uh, I would say, a relative decline. But yeah. I agree, there is a decline, and for uh, many reasons, as usual in French rugby league, there was mistake made by French rugby league itself, but also also uh, problem coming from other other skateholders, other parties. In this decline, uh, there was a problem with um, the fact that probably the French rugby league federation didn't uh, didn't have a real, really a training policy. She didn't think enough about training young. Uh, young players. On the contrary, she would, uh, the French uh, Rugby League Federation tried to uh, hire a rugby player from the other code, Rugby Union, for example, or just to hire a foreign, uh, foreign players. I mean, it's not a problem to have foreign players. But when you rely too much on foreign players, you neglect the, po- the policy of uh, training. Yeah. And so, it's a risk, and this is what is uh, happening now in French Union. We have a top, we have a top fourteen championship uh, uh, with a lot of uh, financial means. Uh, actually, all South Africa is playing in France now, <laughs> especially in the South. So it was a mistake, but also, uh, as you probably, uh, I don't know if you know, because you seem a, a young journalist, yeah. there was a huge problem with the Union Federation. A huge yeah. conflict. We even have a, a, a president of the French Union Federation. We declare, we declare that he wanted French rugby league to be dire, and mm. it's not an understatement. It was a clear intention to do so. So the French Union Federation created like some kind of administrative harassment on the French rugby league, uh, preventing French players to, to to choose their codes. That is to say that, for example, a French Union players, sorry, a French rugby league players could uh, decide to play for Union, for example. No problem in this direction. But in another direction, it would mean that the player would play his entire career in French rugby league. So it brings a lot of limitation. Yeah. And there were also, so I would say that French rugby union did some, I would say, dirty tricks. <laughs> And uh, also, uh, we also have a, a, a big problem with media because we have a big event in the beginning of the 80s. Usually, the French rugby league games were televised on the French public service television until uh, 1981 championship final, where there is a big, where was a big brawls, uh, brawls, uh, fight on, yeah. on, on the field. And so, with the pressure of the French Rugby Union Federation, which is uh, never far from it, the French public broadcasting service decided to stop televising French Rugby League games, or only on minor stations, local stations, or things like that. So you have, uh, I would say, a decline, a lack of um, training policy, an administrative harassment, and also uh, the access to the media which was closed yeah and i think it can explain 
the, this relative decline of the French rugby league. Yeah. And then we have Catalans entering Super League and also latterly Toulouse going mm-hmm. into the leagues over here as well. Uh, yes. Wh- what were the thinking behind coming over here? Uh, I think uh, now we have the legacy of the project of the Super League. I, I think when it was created, uh, I think it, it's not. Uh, it's, I see you're a young journalist. Yeah. So, so, so I don't know if you were born uh, at this time, but it was in the middle of the 90s. Yeah. And the project of Super League was very ambitious. It was uh, it was meant to be played by big ca- capitals of, in Europe. Paris, but also big cities uh, like uh, Milan or Milano, how do you say in English? Milan or Milano in Italy? Milan, yeah. Milan in Italy. So it was a project not to to make only a a British Super League, but also a European Super League. And so Paris was chosen, but in Paris, there was not, even around the area of Paris, there are some small clubs. You know, it's a little bit like in London, you have a few uh, rugby league clips around. Yeah. In Paris, it's the same, but not uh, a first-grade club, for example. And so we, we create Paris, which has a division of the famous uh, football association club, Paris Saint-Germain. And it was fant- when, when it was created, it was fantastic. It was very glamorous, Paris, Paris joining the Super League. Unfortunately, after two or three seasons, it was a, a dis- it was a washout. It was, a, I wouldn't say a disaster because it's still in, in the two days mind. I mean, it, but uh, the club didn't succeed because uh, there was a, still a problem with the medias. But also uh, many French clubs refused to release. So this time it was them who refused to, <laughs> to release their players to play in the, these Paris Saint-Germain teams. Right. So the idea was to say, okay, Paris didn't work, so we're going to go to the heartlands of French rugby league. And so in your heartlands, you have Perpignan, which is uh, today the center of French rugby league in France, but also Toulouse. And Toulouse is a very uh, important city for both codes of rugby, not only rugby league and rugby union. It's a symbolical capital of an imaginary land that we call in France Ovalie, like the world oval ball, you know, yeah. Ovalie, yeah. and Toulouse and these two clubs, the idea is that as these two clubs were close to the heartlands, and especially Toulouse, which was linked to an economical environment, industry, uh, you know that in Toulouse, uh, the Airbus planes are made there, for example, so it's a big city, Toulouse is a big city, so that these clubs could sustain uh, a team in such competitions. And yeah. actually, we can see in Dragon Catalan that it's a, it's a success. It's a success for Dragon Catalan. And with Toulouse Olympic, we know is, uh, I would say, I would say overfly the championship, maybe the buffer championship. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that it was the right things to move for first to establish strong teams in the heartlands. Yeah. And the competition in France, Elite One, uh, what is like the standard of competition in, in comparison to what we have over here? Uh, I, that's an excellent, an excellent question to ask now, because if you asked me uh, this question last year, I wouldn't be able to understand, uh, to, to, I mean, to answer this question. Yeah. Because this year, thanks to the pandemic, if I can say, if something can be positive yeah. from the pandemic, <laughs> Uh, many British or even Australian fans discover our championship thanks to the social networks or even uh, uh, through the internet set, internet site of uh, yeah. regional channels. And it seems, and I have exchanged with them about the level. And it seems that our premier, uh, our elite one championship, our first um, grade championship, would be some kind of mixed a mixture of uh, the Befred Championships and the League One. That is to say that the first teams of the Elite One could survive or even make some good results in the championships. Let's say that the 
the top four or the top five. Yeah. And the other one could survive as well in the League One Championship if uh, they have to play in this uh, championship. So we have, I think we have, people have discovered that we have quite a good level given the low means uh, we have to sustain these uh, championships. Yeah. And in terms of crowd sizes, what's that like in Elite One? That's, uh, well, this year was, of course, particular yeah. because uh, we play in close gates. But usually, I'm afraid, uh, not enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's say that, for example, um, a simple game, a simple, uh, let's take a simple Elite One game. Yeah. Uh, with low promotion, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> you can expect uh, a few hundreds, an yeah. attendance of a few hundreds. Yeah. If it's... Uh, a game involving a Catalan team from the area of Perpignan or an Odois team from the area of Carcassonne, uh, one hour or two hour drives from there, it can be a few thousands, a few thousand, an attendance of a few thousands. And uh, maybe to give you some landmarks, I would say a good final of the Elite One Championships because uh, we have a first phase of championship after the playoffs and after the final. A fine, with the final, you can reach an attendance of uh, 7,000 or 10,000 people in the stadium, paying, uh, paying seats. So the, I know this doesn't seem much, yeah. but given the low means that the French Rugby League has to communicate to make uh, its championship now in the French public, it's uh, sometimes it's uh, it's a kind of victory to be still here to be still be able to have a competitive championships and to still have passionate people because some uh, in France uh, French rugby league players have a bad reputation they have a reputation of being mercenaries mercenaries playing for the money actually uh, most of them are semi-professional they have a job besides yeah some 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 are amateurs and sometimes uh, clubs are sustained by uh, fa- families, by uh, volunteers. And so, uh, given all this means, I think that our championship is not so bad. Yeah. And uh, if I can just add something, because uh, it's normal when uh, French people are interviewed about French believe they only speak about the men. <laughs> but now we, we're starting to have a women championship. We have two divisions. And uh, if I can say that today there, there is a problem for them because uh, due to the COVID restriction, to the COVID restriction, and the fact that they are amateur, they can't play today. And whereas, in fact, they deserve our respect because they have being a, a, fr- a French rugby league in France is already difficult. But when you are a woman practicing French yeah. rugby league, it's even much. Uh, it's even uh, more difficult. Yeah, and um, with Catalans and Toulouse, uh, I think they play the reserve teams in Elite mm-hmm. One. Uh, what is the feeling amongst French fans? You know that they have the kind of second team in Elite One? Well, uh, actually, I wouldn't say that there isn't a dispute about this situation. It's not uh, not a subject. Some people like me think that instead of having reserve grade, we should try to put more big cities clubs in Elite One. For example, we have Lyon, which is uh, the third largest city in France, was an elite two clubs and i would prefer instead of having this reserve grades to have other teams from for example lyon marseille which are big cities and whose names are very familiar to french public yeah but these two teams the two reserve teams it's not a i mean it's not a big deal because if you take the reserve grade of the catalan dragons it's not a mere division of the Dragon Catalan. It's called Saint Esteve Tres Catalan. Yes. It's too important name. In uh, all right, it's not a mere division. It's almost um, an independent. It's a capitalization, 
capitalizing, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, the, the brand of two important clubs in France in yeah. the French history, Tres Catalan. So it's a different spirit. It's not a mere division. Yeah. What could be a mere division is uh, the Toulouse Elite One team, which is yet a classic reserve grade. But this reserve grade has, is very important because it gives a springboard to young French players. It gives them a time of play. So to improve, to play in championships or to play for the national team. As we are desperately uh, need some some test matches, you know. So I would say it's not a big issue because these two reserve grade teams are very useful, are very useful for the growing of the French rugby league and for the training of the young players. So in Super League, uh, we've seen a, f- a few French uh, younger players coming through, like Mathieu Lager. And I think yes, yeah, Arthur Morg as well has done quite well. Uh, it, and I'm not too sure about um, Toulouse. I've not seen much of their games this season. But what do you think is... You said uh, the, the French Rugby League have not done that well in terms of bringing players through. Uh, what what do you think the, the standard of players is at the moment coming through in France? Uh, it's difficult to, to give you, uh, I would say, a definitive answer about that because uh, actually uh, I have my own landmarks and my landmark is the, the, the match sheets of the Dragon Catalan, you know, to see what how many French players play in the Dragon Catalan each week. So when I see, for example, that uh, there are two or three players only two or three players, I'm concerned. When there are more, uh, of course, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. And you show that Steve McManara, that who is a guy, I would say, 100% professional, that he wouldn't make the favor to make a player play because he's French. I think it's not his style. <laughs> <laughs> so it's difficult. I, I think there are some good. For example, you, 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 uh, you cut... Uh, uh, Mathieu Laguerre, it's a good example because Mathieu Laguerre uh, comes from Provence. Provence is uh, is the southeast of France. There are some clubs there, but it's not really the heartlands of French rugby league. So when I see uh, someone uh, someone like him, Mathieu Laguerre, it's very positive. It's just that something, especially in the southeast of France, is is uh, happening. That there is not there are also some. Um, Probably some other player from 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 Provence uh, who follows the same path, the same. Uh, so I, I think it seems that I would say the level of the players slightly improved. But I, I think we at the end of the year we we have a, a definitive answer when we will see the French national team playing in the World Cup. Uh, I think it would give give us a good indication, especially when they will play Samoa, yeah. uh, a game which uh, I would say which uh, which is concerning me. <laughs> <laughs> so, over here in the UK, uh, rugby league it kind of struggles for press coverage. Really, you know, without Sky driving the sport, I think it'd be in a much worse position than it already is in terms of in France you've already mentioned the press a bit about the press coverage but what is is it similar to what it is over here uh, I think that our situation is worse than yours <laughs> uh, uh, because at least you have the BBC yeah we, we televise uh, we televise uh, for example the Challenge Cup which is very good. Yeah. You have also some, uh, you making some, uh, BBC is making uh, some crazy things for, for me. I make making some reports about French rugby league players. They made <laughs> a report about uh, Rap Barrow, for example. Yeah. Uh, Rap Barrow, and, and we don't have the equivalent in France. Our uh, French public service, uh, even if we pay, we it's the same system. We have a license, license fee, doesn't cover French rugby league. Right. You 
we only have maybe a few mention in the local uh, stations. That's all. The last game I saw uh, was uh, France versus Jamaica. It was in 2017. I think something. Oh, it was for to prepare the World Cup. I think something like that. It was the last game I saw on the French public service. We, we really have an issue uh, because whereas it's a public service. Our France Television, that's their name, follow very commercial um, policy. That is to say that they mainly report football association games, and yet they don't have the, the rights for for the major competitions. Uh, rugby Union, the Six Nation tournament, cycling, and the other sports uh, have to find a refuge in a, in a channel, in a cable channel called Sport en France, and that's all. So on the national, uh, uh, when it comes to the national coverage, our situation in France is worse than yours. <laughs> uh, so we have to uh, to be informed about the game. Uh, fortunately, we are, we are living in the area of internet and the application will give you access to the local newspaper wherever you are. And so, for example, we have... Um, a local newspaper called l'indépendant which is located in perpignan perpignan so the center of french rugby league yeah. it's uh, probably the only newspaper we give almost a daily coverage of french rugby league and fortunately and about all the teams not only the catalan teams and it's uh, a regional uh, newspaper you can access via application on um, on android or google or whatever yeah. Uh, you know, to give you an example, when I was a student, uh, when I wanted to follow, I was I play for the amateur club of Montpellier. Montpellier is located at two hours drive from um, uh, from Perpignan. So to have the coverage of my own team, I have to go to the train station where they have the newspaper of all the areas. You imagine? So I, have to, I, I bought the magazine of the city located at two hours drive at the train station. <laughs> to have the coverage of my own team. It's, uh, <laughs> it tells a lot. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm happy that now the fans uh, have access to to internet, to the application, and there is the equivalent, you, you mentioned Sky for, for UK, we have Bean Sport. But Bean Sport, we are always, each, each season, we are always 100% sure that they would broadcast, for example, Super League. Yeah. NRL, for example, is free free of uh, charge for them. They can broadcast NRL because it's free. Super League, they, uh, it takes uh, the Catalan Dragons have to had to convince um, Bean Sport to broadcast. And when I said to convince, I suppose it's some financial agreement somewhere. <laughs> but so we we are fortunate to have Bean Sport, but it's uh, it's not a free to air channel. No. So here is today's the situation. Uh, and I say, th- thank you. We have uh, thanks. We have uh, internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in terms of the rugby league World Cup, uh, quite a, I think it was a few months back. Uh, they said that France are looking likely to be the next hosts. Um, uh-huh. So. Can you explain the thinking behind having France as the host? And if 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 it is confirmed that it is going to be France, uh, what is that going to do for the sport? I, I think it will be a, it it will be a wonderful thing for French rugby league in France because we have would be backed by a local government uh, called Occitanie, which is a big area. I think it's uh, probably as big as north of England. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I'm not so good at geography. But <laughs> and Occitanie is the heart of rugby, both courts in France. So we have the interest of a local government, and uh, it will be. We have a chance in France, and you will correct me if I'm wrong. But between the f- French Union and French rugby, there is not a social gap. I would say. You see, it's yeah. not a middle class playing a union. And so uh, people who, who are honest and who, who likes rugby are able to watch both rugby's uh, before feeling uh, uh, up, belonging to a social class, for example. Yeah. 
And so I think it will it will bring a lot. It will uh, bring the light to French rugby league because if the World Cup is organized in France, uh, French Union fans, which are very uh, numerous in Occitanie, will be, I think, attracted to have the best players, the best British, Australian, New Zealand, even Israel follow if, he, <laughs> if he's coming, <laughs> if he, yeah, he, he solves his little problem. <laughs> and they are going to discover what is rugby league because so far what all they have access is cliche about yeah. rugby league. So I think it will boost. It will boost the game, and it will be some kind of uh, reborn. Maybe let's say a reborn of the game in Occitanie and afterward in the rest of France. So I think it's uh, it's vital and very important that France be chosen and host this competition because moreover, uh, local governments will support French rugby, and we have we have the stadia, we have the structure. We are, France has already organized uh, uh, big events. So I think it will be like a renaissance, not only for France, but also for international rugby league. Yeah. And where do you think, how do you think France will do in this World Cup com- just coming up? Uh, is it? Uh, do you ask me what I think or what I hope? <laughs> <laughs> I've. Uh... <laughs> I think, or what I hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope that she will qualify for the semis. Yeah. This is my hope. But I have some fears. I think that France is going to play her final against Samoa. Yeah. Uh, I think with Greece, it will be okay. But with the Greeks, we never know. They may have some heritage players yeah. playing NRL. So it's still a risk. England will be able, with England will be able to uh, measure the margin yeah because uh, England I suppose will will play the final uh, as usual <laughs> or almost as Hopefully. usual <laughs> but uh, I have some fears because uh, we I'm not sure that some test matches have been playing yeah somewhere I'm come uh it seems that there was some uh, gathering organized by the French Federation for the players. So it seems that this time we will be able to count on the Dragon, Dragon Catalans players and the Toulouse Olympic players. There will be no problem like for the disaster of the 2019 in Australia, the, the Tour of Australia. So at least it seems that the problem with the, the traditional problem with the club is solved. They will uh, provide the player to... But uh, you you need a cohesion for a group. You need a group that a group play together. And if we have no test matches, uh, it will be difficult to face teams like uh, like Samoa uh, because uh, in rugby league, uh, Polynesian players uh, are very good. Are very <laughs> good. They are, they are tough. Our players also are tough. But some uh, some player playing the Australian Championships and even some. In Super League Two, it's going to be difficult. I hope a qualification for the quarterfinals, but uh, it will be difficult. Pierre Carcor there, and some good points made there about French rugby league, and very informative as well. You know, if you're not a huge follower of French rugby league and you don't really know the ins and outs of the the politics and you know the machinations that surround the game in France. So, yeah, good, interesting conversation there from Pierre. But now we're going to move on to Super League because it's been a huge week for action on the field. You know, some huge scorelines and surprising results as well. So we might as well start with uh, Thursday night and it was Warrington who smashed Salford 62 points to 18 and it was Gareth Widdop who was at the centre of everything for Warrington. And ain't he been good this year? Because he came, I think he came back last year, didn't he? Or, or the year before that. And he weren't really up to the standards, really, you know, or, that he sets himself. You know, he's obviously a good player, but he comes with a big reputation of being a top NRL player. So... We didn't see that last year. We are now, you know, in that game. Let's just have a look at the stats now because 
He made three tackle busts, uh, three clean breaks, 13 carries, 131 metres made, oh, and uh, two tries and an assist as well. So, oh yeah, and let's not forget the uh, the bit when he tackled over um, Morgan Eskery, who put in the short chip kick and very nearly got a try, but if it weren't for Gareth Widdup pulling him away, you know, so he weren't just he weren't just going forward. He were there it, you know, defending as well. So really top top result from him. And Salf let's talk about Salford because they did as good as Warrington was, I don't think they did really made it that hard for him, really. How many gaps were there for Salford? You know, after 12 minutes, it was 18-0. And they did bring the scoreline back a bit, but it just carried on rising for Warrington. And I don't, I don't think they actually had to work for most of them points. And it's very disappointing because last week, they, they were the better team against Wigan, arguably, even though they lost 17-16. And we are, we're, not, we're going to be talking about Wigan uh, in a bit. Because they weren't too good this week either. But for Salford, that performance falls way below the standards. And I heard Richard Marshall after the game saying how diabolical it was. But, you know, they've already got quite a few players out. And now they, they've got the week off now because of the, the Challenge Cup ties. But he were mentioning after that game, Callum Watkins picked up an injury, I think es- Morgan Eskeray picked up an injury, and Harvey Levet also picked up an injury, and that is all on top of uh, missing Kevin Brown, and Dan Sarginson's been out as well, so there's quite a quite a load of players that Salford, you know, main players for Salford who are out, so now they may be back for the, the next game, but... You know, it's no good, is it? Uh, on to St Helens, because they're back to winning ways, and I think they were quite good. They they were they were proving why, you know, they've been back-to-back grand final winners. It were 34 points to 16 that they beat Hull by, which is pretty a pretty convincing scoreline, and that's especially when you consider the fact that there was a couple of decisions that were a bit you know, questionable. I think early on they had a try ruled out. I don't. I, I still don't know how or why, but you know the referee went against it, and it with the video referee as well. It went. It went to the video ref, and the, the longer it went on, they kept looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And everyone that I saw on social media on Sky, everyone thought it was you know, a try, and then, oh, lo and behold, it's not a try, you know, the longer he kept looking at that, you knew someone was going, you know, it weren't going to be awarded, but then there was also one where um, a tackle was supposed to be completed, and it clearly wasn't, there was no way the tackle were complete, and he, he said it was, so they missed out some points there, so you could have added a 12 extra points under that, that the kind of deserved really but the referees don't always get it right you know players well you know Hull weren't at it either um Salford weren't at it Wigan have not been at it so everyone has off days but uh in terms of St Helens I've not been the biggest fan this year and probably a lot of St Helens fans have been thinking okay we're winning but we're not winning well and that's what I've been saying. And they haven't been. But this performance, I think, you know, this is them getting back to where they should be, really, I think. And on that, in that match in particular, St. Helens, they were the masters of, you know, when they were going forward, when there was attacking Hull's try line, especially, they kept putting it over that right-hand side every single time. Hull's right-hand side was under the cosh. And every single time, St. Helens, they always had an extra man to pass to, creating, you know, a free pass for whoever got the ball to put it down. And they kept doing that. And Hull didn't have the answer for it. 
and Jack Wellsby, he got his first hat trick for for St Helens, I think, maybe in his career. I think, you know, what a player he's turning into. And uh, let's look at uh, Hull's next fixture because they look they're going to be playing St Helens in the Challenge Cup semi final, and maybe the fact that it's a Challenge Cup match will you know give a different outlook on it. And Hull are obviously going to be really looking to rectify. You you wouldn't imagine there'll be that many gaps on the right edge again. Otherwise, what would what will they have been doing in training? And Hull will be more determined not to lose out again. And they've they've got a good history in the Challenge Cup, really. Some some at that Saint Helens, I don't think they've won it for quite a number of years. But you know that that's next week. On to Leeds, because they another big <laughs> big scoring game on the same night as Saint Helens. So I didn't see this match because I was obviously watching the St Helens game, but it it was Castleford on the end of a loss, and it was sixty points to six in Leeds' favour. And it, is that Castleford's worst performance in recent in the recent years? I think it must be. I don't think. Well, I certainly didn't see that result coming because I I had backed Leeds to win, and. It was only because of Castleford that I missed out on 30 quid. So I'm not too happy about it either. Uh, and, and Leeds have not been... They've not been at the top of the game this year. Because, well, that's the reason I thought, you know, they're not going to win. They were they were pretty rubbish last week, you know. And they've had all the injuries and then they lost Kyle Eastman. And it, it's been pretty crap, let's be honest. But... I don't I don't know where it came from. I've I've watched the highlights and it was made kind of easy really. And the one try that kind of summed it all up was when Conrad Hurrell, the big you know, terroring man, big meaty bloke, last week let's just go back to last week because he was at fault for two tries because he was so sluggish and slow, he were going left and the attacker were going right. And by the by the time he had chance to actually clock on to what were going on, he were we were a couple of meters in front of him, you know, and it were the it, the try was already in the bag really. So, you know, Conrad Hurrell is not known for his, you know, exuberant plays, you know, his his fast feet, his nimble footwork. And yet he were there, putting in a short kick uh, towards the Castleford try line. I think he must have bounced off two defenders, and then he put the kick in, and he must have ran. There was a big gap, but he must have ran from through about five Castleford defenders, and the ball ended up near the sticks. Nobody was anywhere near him, and even put even putting the ball down. He didn't have any pressure on doing that. So, you know, if Castleford can't match bloody Conrad Hurrell for pace, you've, you've got bigger shoes. And for Castleford, when you're looking at the metres made across the season, overall, they are the fourth best team for metres made in terms of try scored the sixth. So... What what does that say? Well, they're not taking the chances as well as other teams are, and they're passing up many chances. And you'd have thought because I think I'm sure they had this this problem the year before, and that's what I'm. I thought Nile Levels will bring, you know, he'll be the one to get more tries for Castleford, but I don't think Nile Levels has been what he has been for Salford. And despite early showings that you thought they might be a, a good team this year, I don't know. They've not been good enough for me after eight games, eight or seven games, whatever it is. And for missed tackles as well, um, topping the table for missed tackles is Lee, which will be no surprise to everybody listening to this. But just behind Lee is Castleford. So that's another big issue that they've got. How do they how do they solve that? Well, only Daryl Powell know, knows how to do that. 
And let's get on to another drubbing, because it were Wigan this time, and it were the, the Wigan have been the only team who's got the 100% win record. Catalans didn't care about that. They smashed them 48-0. And to be honest, for Wigan, you can't really say it's a, a loss has not been coming because they probably shouldn't have won against Salford. Even Adrian Lamb said they got away with it. So you'd have thought that they'd have been making sure they're back to the best and no, they went from bad to worse. And, and, and before the Salford match, Lee ran them pretty pretty close as well. Well, on the 78th minute as well, you know, you, you're you already losing heavily. It's nearly 50 nil, And you're thinking, well, it's it's two minutes to go. And then Zach Hardaker goes and headbutts Sam Tompkins. You know, what on earth is going through his mind there? You know, you need to just get the game over and done with and go again. But no, he had, he had to involve himself, didn't he? And he's he's like Jake Connor a bit, you know, a bit of a loose cannon sort of thing. Tempers, temper can go at any time. And Zach Hardick should should learn this by now. How experienced is he now? You know, how many appearances for England and Great Britain and whatnot? And yet, he's, he still can't keep that under control. And... I think the ban is for two games, which you know they might they could have had more, I reckon, but it's you know it's no good. They they're already not at the best, and now they're missing him for they're missing the be- their best player, and he's been top stuff this year as well, barring one or two games. And guess who's out as well? Bevan French. So who's going to go in at fullback? I think Huddersfield. They're facing Huddersfield next week. Um, there's obviously the week off with the Challenge Cup. So, Uddersfield are going to be happy about that. And Wakefield got their second win. It was 38 points to 12 against Huddersfield. And Hull KR as well. They won again. They're playing quite well this year, Hull KR. Jordan Abdul, who, when he was playing for London, I, I was one of his biggest fans. And he's doing the same for Hull KR. They beat Lee Centurions 40 points to 16. But that was it in Super League. Let's get into the Championship because I see we're already up to 50 minutes so we're going to have to race through all this. Uh, let's start with Oldham. They lost to Widnes 48, uh, 40 points to 18. I was at that game at Bowerfold. It was a good day out, you know. Good to, good to be back in a stadium for the first time in over a year. However long it is, not been counting the days, I think, you know, a long, long time. But the the thing that got Widnes the win was the kicks, really. I think there was a 40-20 uh, done. Danny Craven, he were on top form. Uh, Widnes, they finished the sets well. And, you know, when Oldham were getting the possession, it was always on their try line. So, you know, very well drilled witness which has not been the case recently Oldham was error prone and light in defence really and when they were putting pressure on witness a few kicks they went in and nobody really went for them and you know the only people it were going to was the witness shirts and I thought Oldham might have you know fared a bit better actually because we've seen how Widnes have capitulated in games. But they didn't do that this week. There was a couple of occasions when Oldham broke through the defence quite easy. But it didn't result in a try. And also, I think at one occasion, Widnes kicked out on the full, which was poor, obviously. But apart from that, they've been pretty much solid. Uh, they'll have to be good. He'll have to be on the metal anyway because next three is London, Sheffield, and then it's Bradford. So some tough fixtures coming up for Widnes. So it's good job they did get that win. Uh, Batley beat Swinton twenty six points to twelve. Swinton were actually winning at halftime, but they only got two points uh, in the second half. So they've still not got a win. Uh, next week for them, it's the eighteen ninety five Cup semi final. Bet they didn't expect that. Uh, that's against York, so I think overall Swinton, they, they, they're obviously trying and giving everything, the efforts there, but they can't 
do it for a full 80 minutes at the moment. Is that going to change? Well, time will tell. And Batley, they're up to fourth, uh, firmly in fourth as well, so they're doing quite good. Uh, Bradford, they got another win. Uh, I remember on the first day, I think it was the first day, and they were absolutely hammered by Sheffield, and you thought, oh my God, is it going to be a terrible season for Bradford? But since that loss, they've been, well, they've been as good as everybody else and way better than quite a few. Uh, they beat York 37 points to 18. First match back at Hudson. Uh, just over a year ago, we were told that they, they couldn't afford it because of crippling costs. So what's changed there? Obviously, we've got this stock car racing now uh, and maybe that's what's made it cheaper for Bradford. But... Have you seen the pitch size? It's about 50-odd metres long. You know, a rugby pitch is 80 metres in length, in it? What's going on there? Uh, York's fourth defeat as well. Uh, them defeats, If you, let's have a look at York's defeats because they've come against Toulouse, uh, Sheffield, Featherstone and Bradford. Now, it's early days and there's more games to come, but York are definitely looking for the playoffs this year. They've signed so many Super League players, it wouldn't be true to say they're not looking at the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, if 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 your record going into them playoffs is loss, loss, loss against playoff contending teams, then it ain't good luck. And that's a question I'll be asking James Ford later on this week. And you'll be able to hear that uh, interview next Monday, so stick around for that. Uh, Sheffield, they drew again against Whitehaven, 25 points to 25. Uh, probably a match Sheffield should have won. I think they had chances in the last couple of minutes, and if they want to be propelling themselves to a, a playoff push, you know, they probably want to win that one. I suppose it's not the end of the world, but I think now it's five games without a win, which... Considering the good start against some good teams, it, it's very frustrating, I suppose. You know, next fixtures for them, Halifax, Oldham and then Widnes. They're winnable, but you you can't be sure with Sheffield right now, can you really? And Featherstone, they got another win. They beat Halifax, uh, 16 points to 8. Now into League One, whistle stop touring League, League One, not, mu not much time left. Coventry beat Rochdale 38 points to 30. Good victory for Coventry Bears, I don't think that was expected. Barrow, they won again. <laughs> the, the unbeaten season's going well so far. The target to be unbeaten. Uh, they beat North Wales Crusaders 44 points to 8. Doncaster, they're going pretty well this year. They're in third place now. Uh, they beat Workington, who were top, and they'd won every game. It, it's twenty. It were twenty six points to twenty four. Keithley won forty nil against Hunslet and West Wales. They lost heavily again for Lon uh, against London Scholars. It were fifty two points to ten. That was your lot from the world of rugby league this week. Do join me next week, because as I say, I'll be joined by James Ford. Head coach of York City Knights to talk all about York, obviously, the start of the season and about his coaching style and philosophy. So do join me for that. Uh, see you then.